Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor for about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, it's Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flux Diet Circuit, and trying to stay warm in Minnesota. Yeah, no doubt. The you guys hit, got hit with the snowstorm as well, eh? Yeah, eh? it was uh, like uh, eight, maybe twelve inches, possibly Ooh. somewhere around there. I'm just judging by what I did for shoveling and stuff yesterday. So the good part was it was cold enough when it snowed; it was nice and fluffy, so it wasn't super wet and heavy. But mm. yeah, the roads got interesting. We went somewhere for Christmas Day, and that was about it. So yeah, yeah, it's been pretty cold (laughs) yeah this is going to be the season over the years i've really come to realize that like fall through december like fall semester if you will it's not really the snowy one right we are heading in the next eight to ten weeks is going to be this the mess you know as far as roads and but yeah i was glad for a white christmas that was cool yeah it is nice i was it was about time we were due for snow so uh i actually what got out uh before the snow and I did my old trick of putting a 30-pound dumbbell in a backpack and just kind of, you know, did a half-hour walk around the neighborhood. Felt good to do that, actually. So. Yeah, I did my 45-minute walk, not yesterday, but the day before, like, in the middle of this, after the snowstorm when it was, like, 20 below windshields. So I had to find all my winter clothes and winter pants, and there wasn't too many people walking around then. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, with the with the snow and everything, I imagine it'd be like sand. I've I've seen data that running in the sand, for example, you know, your VO two is much higher because you're obviously you're fighting, you're slogging through sand. But I got to think snow does something pretty good with that kind of stuff too. If people were so inclined, I suppose. Yeah, it was the snow, and then in certain spots under the snow, you couldn't see it, but there were spots that were icy, so that made it kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, that's a risk. <laughs> All right. Everybody, we are going to do a little bit of news here, uh, and then the topic of the day, Mike and I will do probably just a shorter episode. Uh, we're going to look back at last year's fitness predictions and see if we were right. So uh, I don't want to d- delve into new predictions just yet. Phil will be out back on next week after his excursion, his annual, I think it's Yellowstone, um, but he always goes somewhere cool with the family, so... We'll get him on and see what kind of predictions we can come up with for 21. But we will look back at 2020 and see if what we guessed was right. Obviously, we could not have guessed 
the pandemic necessarily, uh, at least any specifics about it. But let's do the news. Uh, Strength and Muscle Sport News. Mike, was that you that mentioned, hey, the Olympia just happened uh, in texts? Um, yeah, in Florida, right? Yeah, and we were kind of replying on text behind the scenes, everybody, like, oh, God, the Olympia, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, what I understood, and listeners can correct me if they're really into this, I don't follow the Open Mr. Olympia contest nearly as much as I used to. But the point is, I think it was originally Nevada, like it's been forever, and uh, because Nevada, in Las Vegas, of course, and then Nevada had restrictions on crowd size, so they moved it to Florida, as I understood it, presumably so they could have a larger crowd. Now, I don't think that's a real good idea uh, during a pandemic, yeah. but uh, and I don't know all the details. I'd have to look. Uh, they moved it to Florida, central Florida. Uh, big rainy one. So Egypt's big Ramey, uh, looking at some pictures of him from the side, his thighs are redonkulous. I mean, oh, the, so crazy. <laughs> the deep separation, not just between muscles, but between like heads within the muscle or even fibers, it looks like, uh, within the muscle belly. It's just r- ridiculous. Um, and I think he's been a favorite for a while because he's so huge. I think he came in with much uh, improved conditioning this year, so he wasn't just huge. He was, you know, on point. He was sort of dialed in, as they say. Um, so, just pulling this from some fitness websites here. Actually, this is just called BleacherReport.com. It says, last year's winner, Brandon Curry, was named runner-up. Well, Heath, Phil Heath, of course, finished third. I think he was back to try to get his eighth win uh, after being out, as I understand it, last year, um, but he took third. So rounding out the top five were Hattie Chutman and William Bonnack, respectively. So it just says a longtime favorite, Big Ramey, finished second in 2017, then missed years last year, missed last year's competition with a shoulder injury, etc., uh, etc. Et so now I'm not going to go down the 212. Uh, body weight, you know, results versus classic versus this versus that. To be completely honest, and I know a lot of people are like, Lonnie, you're just out of touch with it now. Well, I guess I am because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure why we need a two twelve and a classic. To me, the idea of capping two twelve, yeah, is so the guys aren't so enormous. I mean, I know in the past they've had like a short man and a tall man, like the Arnold versus Franco thing, and back in the day, and um. Yeah, but you know, two twelve classic and the uh, the physique, the physique stuff. I just don't get. You know, with the board shorts and the guys, some of them had had really poor, really thin calves. I'm just not down with that. Uh, that's not. I, I I don't. I'm not sure. I get that. I do think it's interesting to look at the prize money and see where they they pay out the largest. Um, obviously, the open Mr. Olympia that I just read the results of, that's the biggest. The first place is 400000 so not too bad. I mean, I imagine some of those guys put a big chunk of that back into their drug cycles, but, yeah. um, just to be brutally frank. but um, And I think second place was one hundred and fifty grand, you know, that sort of thing. And then the money's much diminished in all the other classes. And as I understand it, they brought back women's bodybuilding as well. And women's has lots of classes too, of course. You know, the yeah, bodybuilding. Yeah, used to be. Yeah, bikini, fitness. Um, 
So it's actually almost. sort of hard to keep track uh, with everything that's going on. Um, and the pandemic adding even more chaos. I don't know. I, one thing that did strike me is when I was reading through some of this material is instead of saying best in the world, best of the best like they used to. You know, they used to say only Mr. Universes can compete in the Mr. Olympia. This is the, you know, absolute over the top number one man in the world, you know, or woman in the world. And instead, the language just seems softer. You know, by winning this, you solidify your place as one of the best or, you know, uh, as elite, you know, things like that. And just instead of, instead of saying the best of the best, it's almost like they're pussyfooting around the fact that the Arnold Classic is there, you know, the Arnold Fitness Weekend, you know, and they're just not being quite as blunt with, hey, this is the best of the best of the best. So I, I'm not sure why they're softening their language with that, or maybe I'm just reading into that. But um. Would it have to do with the ownership, maybe, I think? I'm trying to remember. Um, the president, is Dan Solomon, is this the first Olympia he did, or did he do the last one? I, I'm kind of a little bit out of touch on yeah, that. So I maybe it has too. something to do with that also? I'm not sure. I did notice they had a couple of sponsors that I wasn't as familiar with, you know, and... The sponsors, I think, dictate a lot of stuff like who's actually standing on stage handing the trophies to everybody. And there's a, oh, we, sure. I mean, we both know, yeah, there's a lot of politics and bodybuilding. The organizers and the promoters are in cahoots with a whole bunch of other people. I'm not saying all the results of the contest are fixed, but the people who are shuffling around on stage or organizing it or whatever, yeah. Sort of a click. Yeah. And there's so many competitions now too i know it's been weird this year not necessarily this year but just the different new classes and yeah i remember seeing the very at the arnold when they had the very first kind of classic or board shorts competition for guys <clears throat> i was like oh no actually i get it it kind of looks like something that's almost attainable like if you, you know, tried really hard and trained and did everything and and then now i look at them and i'm like Oh, it looks like bodybuilding again with no legs. You can't ever stop the progression. You know, like you look at, you know, fitness compared to physique competitors now for women, even compared to 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's like, you, it, I, I can't believe they're in the same category. <laughs> yeah. But that's just the evolution of, I think it's hard too, and you've mentioned this a lot, that if you're a physique competitor or you know men's classic whatever you're kind of stuck in this area where you can't get too big can't get too shredded but you gotta look just right based on xyz criteria which is even harder for women where with bodybuilding it's like okay who's ever the biggest and most ripped you win so it just i think it's harder to put those boundaries on it and everyone's going to try to go past the boundary and when that's rewarded then you just end up with almost another class that looks very similar to the next class i guess yeah i guess that's what i'm saying too and i, I agreed i mean escalation is just a reality in almost yeah. anything you know you want a one up and when there is no upper um limit if th there's no ceiling bigger harder bigger harder um but at some point yeah we're literally getting to the point where the guys are well, they're already dysfunctional. I mean, they're certainly athletically dysfunctional in a lot of ways. Um, 
like the story we told about the guys who tried to do a sprint off competition and just both tore their oh, hamstrings. No. You know, it's and, a horrible idea. <laughs> um, so they're already so massive, of course, and it's not supposed to be performance based. I got it. Yeah. But at some point, yeah, with um, you know, CRISPR and all these things that are coming down the pike and are already here, um, at some point you're going to be so massive, you're just this quivering jumble of. Uh, gnarly ripped muscle tissue and I don't know it's just it's not going to be appealing to anybody I think they've already lost a lot of appeal with younger generation who are you know a lot of the guys that got into bodybuilding in the 70s and 80s like I did you know now they've got MMA and CrossFit and other things where they they kind of want to be more functional in a lot of ways and uh yeah and I don't know uh, but at the same time, with Instagram, the j- selfie generation, people love selfies, and so the physique and the look is always going to be part of it. But like you said, it attainable or unattainable, sure. But even just, yeah, like, I, like I'm looking at a lot of this stuff, and like even as a former bodybuilder, I don't want it. I, I don't want that look. Um, I don't know. Technology, the escalation of technology, we've said it a lot, but kind of uh, – ruined the sport in a way and like you said they can have these other classes but then i'm just you got to be a real uh fan uh, that keep up on it and you know to appreciate the nuances between a 212 versus a classic physique anyway yeah, yeah so it was interesting though that the the guy who won you know big Ramy, it kind of deserved it people saw it coming maybe i'm glad to see that he improved as far as condition and it's nice to see someone new winning fairly regularly instead of just, you know, we had the Haney years for, I don't know, six, seven, whatever it was, and then Dorian Yates with the same thing, and then Phil Heath, the same thing. And so now we're seeing people mixing it up and different people winning every year, so that makes it a little more exciting. Yeah. yeah. and I mean, I work with a few, you know, competitors in physique in different areas, and I think it's hard, too, because like we said, it's especially as you're competing and you're not at the top of the top, the elite of the elite, it's, it's changing. I mean, I worked with a few people in the past where more on the women's side and you know, they did quite well, but then you look at what was the, I guess, standard that was sort of set. And then you look at what they actually judged for some particular years and you're like, huh, that doesn't seem to match. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's just the underlying thing where you're always going to kind of vote more extreme no matter what you kind of set up as a criteria. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's some um, admittedly barely educated commentary on the Olympia. Yeah. But we'll probably get lots of interesting comments on this too because even with the handful of competitors I work with, it's I don't really look at what they're – competing against per se i mean i have an idea and i know what the standard is and what they need to work on but it doesn't change a lot of what i do to try to make them the best that they want to be and you know 99.9 percent of the time they know what areas they need to work on so it's just right my job to help get them to what they're telling me and what we think they need to get to because i'm not a judge and if I need help on other more, you know, physique criticisms. I have three other people that do this all the time. I just send their photos to you. And then I'm like, I'm out of the loop. Yeah. Here, what do you guys think? And I'll work on whatever your feedback is. Because 
Yeah. This yeah. is harder when you're the feedback provider too, which is not something I do a lot of. And you're the person helping with execution. So mm-hmm. like I didn't help you with the execution. The rest of it, we'll, we'll, f- <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, honestly, it's a good point about what you, what you do with physique clients is going to be very similar because unless you have unlimited access to a, a cornucopia of polypharmacy, you know, yeah. then it's still going to be bigger, harder, bigger, harder for most people. You know, even if they're using a little bit of this or that or supplements involved versus, you know, whatever kind of anabolics they're willing to do or cutting meds or whatever it is. Um, yeah, they're no, they are not in danger <laughs> of becoming the giant quivering muscle mess that I was talking about earlier. No. It's still, the advice is still how do we get you bigger and harder with preference to one or more you know, muscle groups or nuances of conditioning or whatever. But yeah, the advice for most people, mid-range people, is still going to be the same, I would think. Yeah, yeah, and obviously I don't do a lot of <clears throat> on the, the drug side and that type of thing, too. It's just I, I'm, I don't even know what most of the compounds people use now. I just have no clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, again, I think, I think the gene editing thing, I just saw a video yesterday, first one I've seen, a uh, guy experimenting on himself. He's got CRISPR kits. It's literally that e- easy, and I'm not encouraging anybody to do that. This is at this stage, it's freaking madness. Um, yeah. But he was injecting stuff into his forearm, and this guy was interviewing him, and the guy's like, "Listen, biohackers, you know, we're the ones gonna. As far as I know, I'm the first person who's tried to to do this, and it's like, oh boy, it, it does. It will eventually make a lot of existing drugs, like an androgenic drug." That isn't just meant for hypertrophy. It's going to make it look like a crude, um, bull rush approach, you know, to try to just massively change your muscle mass by taking androgenic sex hormones and things like that. And I know some are more anabolic and less androgenic and all that, but um, the idea of literally stimulating a gene product to make exactly what you want without all of those other things. I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting to see where that goes down the road. But Yeah. I mean, even now, I mean, they've used CRISPR-Cas9 stuff for, like, sickle cell anemia, which <clears throat> to me is fascinating because it's literally the transposed of one letter in your DNA. And it causes, obviously, red blood cells to not be formed correctly, which can be very fatal if you don't have a lot of blood transfusions. And with CRISPR, you can literally go in, isolate that section, give it to the Cas9 protein, which goes out, manufactures it, and literally changes your genetic structure. Again, that's not germline editing, but mm-hmm. in terms of the production of all you know, the new proteins and everything else, it's, yeah, it's so much light years ahead of what we had before in the past. Specific. I think in a study they were saying genetic stuff in the past, if you got one maybe two three percent change you know in terms of penetration of the cells you wanted to get that was pretty good you know now you can easily get 80 probably 90 percent crazy you know so it's you can order what mrna you want to feed into the protein from companies and they'll just send it to you in the the two different vials that you mix together and the mrna is literally programming the cas9 protein and away it goes yeah (laughs) Yeah, I see a, with the popularity of these mRNA vaccines and everything. These are not the traditional ones. You know, I guess the Oxford right. one was more traditional, but 
have the Pfizer and Moderna. And I don't want to bore everybody with – we're going off the deep end here. But yeah. <laughs> it, it is interesting that you can simply inject the instructions for what you want, for the protein you want, whether yeah. it's an antibody or a structure or a enzyme or whatever. I, I'm very curious to see where this is going to go because it's highly targeted and specific without that brute force approach, you know, that – that I think a lot of bodybuilders have tried in the in the past with hormones. And these hormones are not singularly meant for hypertrophy. They do a lot of other things. Yeah, my last comment on that too, especially when you start getting into things that I think are less well understood in exercise phys, like just hypertrophy, which to me is almost more like a weird side effect. There's just so many multiple redundant pathways. It's not like a a clean quote unquote genetic snip that we're changing that we understand that okay this got the wrong letter so we know what that means and even stuff with like changing myostatin you know now yeah does that apply across all tissues we only really kind of wanted a muscle tissue not cardiac tissue and yep. everything else and yep. yeah just the unintended side effects even if you get the execution of what you believe you want to do correct it just that's what makes me nervous. You know, and that's what I mean. Like people, biohackers experimenting yeah. on themselves. You're right. Something like sickle cells, monogenic, you're just basically fixing a one very specific singular problem. Um, and then amazing health benefits unfold. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be nice to get a biochemist on to talk about how polygenic is hypertrophy. Like how, how what, what, what would you target? If it's not just one thing. What would you target, and would this result in like a cocktail, uh, you know, that kind of thing? So I'll actually ask around. I'll talk to try to find yeah. some biochemists. Uh, speaking of different types of manipulations, most of us just have access to dietary supplements and things that are legal, legal over-the-counter meds and things like that. I do have two pieces here that I mentioned last time about curcumin. Uh, there's a a fairly new paper that came out. Let's see. This I actually got this through ergolog.com. You might want to check them out if you're yeah. interested in anabolics and whatnot. Uh, yeah, Journal Medicinal Food 2020, December. So <laughs> this is brand new. It says curcumin increases muscle strength in people over 65. Now, bear with me. You might think, Lonnie, you're on this old guy kick. Well, I've got some <laughs> other stuff here coming that's also about curcumin. But this one is about strength. It says, give men and women over 65 a capsule of curcumin every day, and their muscle strength will increase without training. Um, researchers wow. from the private research company Aria Biolabs report this in a publication that will soon be published in the Journal of Medicinal Food. Now, again, the, the study was sponsored by the supplement company, right? So... That doesn't make it false, but it does make you raise an eyebrow. We both know that using statistics and you can look at a data set and you can make things look more favorable than not um, and that kind of thing. But essentially, they they took 30 people, uh, put them into two groups. One took a placebo daily for three months. Uh, the experimental group got daily supplements with curcumin extract from this company. Uh they say it's more bioavailable than regular curcumin because that's an ongoing problem. We all know that. Uh, how do you get it in? Is it bioparin or bioparin or, you know, is it uh, like some kind of phytosome? Or There's all these different ways to try to get more of it in you. 
but the results here, it says curcumin supplements increased the force at which the subjects could squeeze a hand grip dynamometer as well as the total number of times the subjects could squeeze the device. The effects were modest, but according to them, looked good. Um, The researchers attribute the positive effects of curcumin to neutralization of inflammatory proteins such as TNF-alpha, as well as antioxidant qualities. Uh, Here's a quote. Supplementation restores the normalcy of muscle strength as well as helps the restoration of muscle mass uh, by a reduction in muscle catabolism, writes the researchers. So that's pretty interesting to me. Um, strength or mass, mostly by correcting some of the problems that happen with aging, the inflammation and the oxidative stress of age. Uh, so interesting stuff there. And then the follow-up, before I ask for your comments, Mike, this is um, a little bit older piece, but uh, also from Ergolog reporting, MR, MRI captures the anti-catabolic effect of curcumin. So this mm. is curcumin is an interesting substance for athletes who train intensely and want their muscles to recover, essentially. It says, one problem, though, is the body does not absorb curcumin easily. But according to researchers at the Spanish Olympic Training Center, you can get around this problem by using a novel delivery system. So the substance the Spaniards were using, uh, let's see, is Mariva. So capital okay. M, it's brand name, M-E-R-I-V-A. Uh, preparation that uses the active ingredients that are enclosed in globules of phosphatidylcholine from lecithin. So again, yeah, trying to enhance the delivery system here. Uh, researchers gave 10 subjects one gram of Mariva, that two capsules at breakfast, uh, the same dose again with the evening meal for four days. A similar size group was given a placebo. Uh, the subjects were active men, so there's that. There's not a ton of specifics here, but they ran them downhill for 45 minutes on a treadmill. Uh, They measured muscle damage two days later with MRI, and we just kind of cut to the chase here because I didn't pull the full papers here. It's Christmas time, for God's sake. They looked at thigh measures as a percent of subjects, but essentially, as I'm reading this, the MRI was favorable for the experimental group as far as less damage if you will um pain although it looked a little different it was not statistically significant so not a good reliable finding for less pain in the curcumin group it says although it may help with the inflammation of recovery could it inhibit muscle growth and we've talked about this a little bit before these findings suggest curcumin might be beneficial in the prevention of delayed onset muscle soreness or at least the damage the researchers write, however, one might argue that being a mild inhibitor of cyclooxygenase 1 and 2, that is COX-1 or 2, curcumin may interfere with muscle growth. So that was the concern. Now, interestingly, that new paper is suggesting strength and possibly even size enhancements, or at least anti-catabolic effects maybe uh, in elderly. So... I don't know. Well, we talked about this before. That was one of the same critiques of fish oils, you know, that they might, by reducing prostaglandin E2 as a product of COX, maybe they would screw with your muscle growth or something like that. But both papers here, brand new and slightly dated. The other one, the one I just read about the MRI, that was from the journal of the ISSN back in 2014. So, but, but you know, interesting stuff, anti-inflammatory and muscle Recovery enhancements, maybe strength, or maybe, maybe a little bit of muscle size in old folks. 
So, um, I don't know. It makes me glad. I do, I do take some uh, two different kinds of curcumin. I go back and forth. Both of them have different kinds of delivery systems, as it were. But what are your thoughts, Mike, about curcumin and strength and size and recovery? I don't know. I mean, I've played around with it off and on in the past. I've kind of watched the literature a little bit on it. I wonder if the mechanism is similar to, so NSAIDs, right? So like Advil, non-steroidal, anti-inflammatory drugs, because they're mildly anabolic in older people, but at a high enough dose may have the opposite effect in younger people. The theory is, like you were saying, modification of possibly inflammation, where we're toning down some of the inflammation in older people, which is giving them a more favorable response, but... In younger people, maybe they're toning that down a little bit too much. Yeah. So you're blunting some of the acute effects of that. Um, I have noticed just anecdotally for a little bit of joint pain and kind of soft tissue recovery, it seems to help. So I took a bunch when I went on a kiteboarding trip again because I tend to brutalize myself kite- <laughs> kiteboarding. Um, and I kept taking it since I came back with just a little bit more higher volume of training and appears to help a little bit you know less joint pain less kind of feeling sticky in the morning per se um there's one other study too here from uh ralph yeager and uh, from chad kirksick's lab looking at eight week dose of high dose of curcumin supplementation may attenuate performance decrements following muscle damage exercise so kind of similar to the study you recommended a different type of curcumin looks like they're using something called uh which is 200 milligrams of curcuminoids. And long story short, it looks like they did show that there was, compared to placebo changes, their dose attenuated reductions in some, but not all observed changes in performance and soreness after completion of a downhill running bout. They said additionally, a 50 milligram dose appears to offer no advantage changes observed in the placebo and 200 milligram groups. So, yeah, 50 be really low i would think yeah pretty low and it, that's the hard part too because you have to look at the type and what did they do to it is a you know phytosome like mariva is a different type so yeah it gets confusing to try to compare dosage to dosage because you'd have to look at how much is bioactive but with this particular one they did show that uh higher amounts looks like eh, maybe beneficial that's in the journal 2019 in nutrients okay yeah, I um the brand I I get now uh, foods supplements a lot of times these days it's definitely not an yeah. ad I just trust those guys I've used them for a long time but they have two different ones one is uh, curcumin phytosome and the other is um it's called curcubrain and they both hmm. use different delivery systems to try to enhance it it's very unscientific and just singular and observational but. I blew up my left medial meniscus sprinting a couple of years ago, and I kind of use that as one way that I assess because I'm I'm aching all over these days, you know, with arthritis and stuff. But um, when I take curcumin and I take some glucosamine chondroitin, and you know, I'm swishing it down with some bone broth and vitamin C, and just trying to do everything I can, my left knee doesn't bother me, and if I stop after a couple of weeks. It seems to hurt again. So I don't know which one of these things is playing a role in that inflammation, but I just think controlling uh, inflammatory processes as you age through your lifting career 
is just a really good idea. It's one of the things that I've been good about. I'm not good at soft tissue, like hands-on stuff. I've just, I've never had a massage. You know, people are like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> you know, um, but on the nutritional side, maybe that's just my career bias. You know, I try to yeah. go for the blueberries and anything I can in that way. So, uh, but yeah, I'm more or less a fan. I've seen enough that I'm interested in it. So, uh, I do have one last thing here before we go to break, Mike. This is from Advances in Nutrition. Uh, oh, boy. I'm going to destroy this name. Sichkowska? S-I-E-C-Z-K-O-W-S-K-A and colleagues. It says, Health Coaching Strategies for Weight Loss, a Systematic Review, and Meta-Analysis. So it starts by saying health coaching has emerged as a potential supporting tool for health professionals to overcome behavioral barriers, uh, but its efficacy in weight management remains unclear. Mm-hmm. We conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis. Uh, they included any study that investigated a self-reported health coaching intervention with the goal of inducing weight loss in an individual of any age, health, or training status. So very inclusive. It says multi-level extension of Eggers regression intercept test. There's a mouthful. Indicated the existence of publication bias in the studies that they found. Whereas sensitivity analysis based only on those studies deemed to be of high quality provided no evidence of an effective coaching on weight loss. Considered collectively, the results of this investigation indicate that the available evidence is not sufficient quantity to support the use of self-reported health coaching as a healthcare intervention for weight loss. Now, we both know weight loss is so incredibly multifaceted here. Um, yeah. But I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on health coaching for – it looks like general weight management or just weight change here. Yeah, I mean the – the big one there is always is you, are you looking at weight loss initially or are you looking at retention of weight loss because most studies and most things can show pretty effective weight loss or fat loss in people over the short term but long term especially 6 18 months <clears throat> everything kind of regress <laughs> regresses back towards the the mean a lot of times yeah um, so that's one thing i would wonder about too and it just seems like it's pretty vague and not a lot of details um but yeah i mean my biggest criticism of almost any of those types of interventions is that trying to keep weight off of people is just historically hard i mean we just don't have a lot of very i'd say effective strategies based on the current literature um again we've got a registry of people who have been able to do it so that <clears throat> leaves us a fair amount of clues of what's going on, and mm-hmm. definitely people have done it. It's a thing that's you know very doable, but if you just play the the general odds, if you were to go to Vegas, you would definitely be betting that most people are probably going to regain the weight. Yeah, yeah. It does mention here thirty eight studies were selected from an initial mm. six hundred and fifty three. Um, it says. Meta-analysis of controlled studies provided evidence of an effect favoring coaching compared with usual care, but was trivial in magnitude. So Mm. it's kind of back to what you're saying. Yeah. At what stage? Is this a first attempt 
Is this a, a maintenance thing? Is it a target date thing? Um, yeah. You know, because, of course, the approach either one of us would take with weight management, I would think, would be massively different for target date competition versus long oh, haul. Yeah. yeah. And then, you you know, I know that if people did a study on the people that I do for online coaching, that it probably would turn out quite favorable. But I also know that I'm dealing with a group of incredibly biased people already just by virtue of them seeking me out and paying me a whole lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> right? well, people with an so athletic mindset, sort of, you yeah, know, are just going to yeah, do better. more intermediate to advanced. They've, they've had many, many years of, you know, getting the skills. So there's usually something bugging them. They're trying to dial in or they've got a competition or things like that. So on the surface, you can find, you know, pockets and coaches and people to work with that, you know, are very successful. Um, the downside is that when you take that to a general population, you know, I'm dealing with a very biased group of people that I've, you know, self-selected and I don't take everybody either. You know, if you're virtually doing a study, unless you're trying to screen them on some, you know, psychological aspect of, you know, trans theoretical model or stages of change or different things, you've got people who may be more motivated, maybe not motivated, don't have nearly as many skills combined a lot of times have 15 to 20 years of the opposite of being unsuccessful <laughs> so it's a very different picture yeah and you know again we're not doing deep dives this is really just if anybody's listening over the holidays and you want some leads, you just go now. yeah go follow up because i mean you can even who is doing the health coaching is a huge deal um yeah like i'm I have a fair amount of concern about the explosion of life coaches. I mean, these are not people with a hundred years of education, you know, like these are not Dr. Mike T. Nelson with, you know, this vast background in, in, in self-imposed continuing ed and all these cadaver workshops and everything and a PhD. And I'm not saying you have to have a PhD to do health coaching, but if you think about it, like, you know, these people can get a nutrition certificate or not a license to practice or some kind of health coach, life coach thing. And essentially, they drift into doing the job of both myself and my wife, right? Who went, yeah. we, we collectively <laughs> went to school forever to get real licenses in these things. And yeah, so it matters. It matters, you know, what who their health coach is as, as far as efficacy. What are they monitoring? And do they know what to monitor and all that kind of stuff? So. Yeah, especially if they're 21 years old. <laughs> oh, well, let's face it. Yeah, I mean, not to sound ageist, but that's that's sort of the current generation. Look, I'm I'm 20. Check these abs. Now do it like me. It's like, oh, boy. Yeah. I'm a life coach. It's like, oh, you might, you, you might do okay, but maybe you need a little more life first. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's right. That's right. All right. Um, well, there's some leads for everybody to follow up on. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to see if our predictions from last year panned out. Stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. 
Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes... We are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. We're just going to cover a few of our predictions for this past year and see if they were correct. Some of them are longer-term things, and we try to predict different things every year. It's not the same uh, categories. Just as a flashback, this was episode 555, 
Uh, Phil had just got back from playing ping pong in Yellowstone with his family, <laughs> like dominating the kids, I think. Um, Mike, you were experimenting with cold exposure, different things. Yeah. Um, I just got my dumbbell rack. I was excited about having a dumbbell rack. Um, but on to the predictions here. For fitness industry, I asked about cardio and endurance type things versus weights and resistance and what would be, what would be the, the big popular trends. Um, Phil predicted cardio would remain, as it really has been historically, I think, number one as far as people getting involved in fitness, you know, from New Year's resolutions to whatever. He brought up the Spartan Games that we all, of course, went to, and Mike was on a podcast panel there and everything, and just how many people, you know, just the, the sheer number of people involved, uh, far greater. I brought up, like, the Peloton bikes and stuff. You know, people are really into merging sort of digital, you know, technology, and uh, it's almost like that health coach you know, trainer thing on the other end. You feel like you're part of a community or a group basically doing something that's really not that new, which is bike sprints, I, you know. Um, yeah. Mike, you cited the gym floor layouts and how the design where it was just rows and rows of treadmills and how obviously gyms still want to invest more in that as far as, you know, putting that out by the front windows or just the sheer amount of floor space. Um do you think we were right that cardio remains king? Just looking back at the last year. I I would say probably the hard part is I've been I literally sat down and figured this out. Other than when I was in South Padre, Texas down there for a couple of weeks, which is a very, very small gym. And the last time I was in a gym before that was in Australia in February, other oh, than yeah. Ben House's place in Costa Rica, which isn't a commercial gym. <laughs> right, know? right, yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, I think with, like, Peloton and at-home cardio stuff, I think once people got locked down, it went up. The amount of people I had messaging me for, like, hey, can you get me a rower? It's like, no. Concept 2 doesn't even talk to me. I don't have any discounts. I don't make yeah. any money. I don't have any pulls with them <laughs> or anything. I'm like, just put your name on a wait list. And yeah, there was rowers being sold on uh, Amazon resale for like $1,600. And so it seems like once people had limited options, they still were looking for cardiovascular stuff too, in addition to weights. Mm. Obviously, trying to find weights and barbells and all that stuff is in the, the same category too. So yeah, I don't... I don't know how much it's changed, to be honest. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that. It's really hard to... We already cited those things, you know, as far as trends go. Specific yeah. to just the past year, it's been so anomalous that how do you really know? Like, what kind of observations can you make? Because, yeah. you know... Uh, I guess I would say, insofar as outdoor stuff is cardio, that might be something I could point to. You know, that yeah. hiking and getting outside to, to get in your exercise. It's just a smarter way to do it in the middle of a freaking century plague. But, um, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I do think that they're, and again, this is probably my own bias. I think just by judging the amount of questions and just assessments I see on new clients, that 
I think you are seeing people who are looking at health in addition to fitness and less trying to be ultra hyper competitive at the cost of everything else. And maybe it's because I deal with a little bit older clientele too, mm-hmm. usually in their 30s, maybe early 40s sometimes, late 20s. But I get more requests for, you know, what type of cardiovascular training should I be doing in addition to my lifting? Where a couple of years ago, that was it was me trying to like show how bad their cardio is and how much it's hindering their other <laughs> progress to get them to do anything. Right. And now I actually have people almost sort of requesting that. So like, I think I'll feel better. I'm like, oh, cool. So Totally. In fact, we did mention trends away from competing like competitive seriousness, really. And we touched on physique versus performance versus health. Um, Let's see here. I predicted more of the health category, which is what you just said. Um, But I said that the physique and performance stuff is is never going to go away because all you have to do is look at Instagram selfies and see that people love to take pictures of themselves. And a lot of that time, that's performance or that's physique. Like, look at my you know, I don't know, round butt <laughs> while I squat, you know, and Phil was kind of talking about that too. Like the women's posts get a lot more views and clicks and that kind of stuff. And, um, but you know, guys like to say, look at my big bench. Here's me benching five plus, you know, and yeah. something like that. But, uh, so I suggested, yes, more toward health despite all that. Although, like I said, the physique and performance never going away because of the social media stuff. Phil agreed on the health focus. He mentioned aging fitness celebrities, mm. even people that are just on the strength side that he knows, you know, like Jim Wendler and these guys. Um, they're not going to, like, kind of to your point, Mike, you don't have to convince them to do something for longevity and career longevity and stuff because they're already feeling the aches and pains and they've got the scars. And, you know, so they're aging in themselves and more, therefore more interested in health, you know. Um, and then you, Mike, you said, uh, sort of on a little bit of a tangent, um, but there was a growing interest in longevity and biohackers and biotesting industries and yeah. how a lot of that had to do with people just want blood work that they can look at themselves. They don't want a doctor just to say, oh, you're fine. You know, they they want to track stuff. So, Yeah, I think that's becoming more and more prevalent. And I don't know if that's so much uh, – deficiency say in the current healthcare system or people hopefully becoming more interested in it in in it just for the sake of it's probably a good idea to look at that but again you've you've got the opposite side of that too where this past year the amount of things i've tried to talk people out of that in kind of the biohacker realm seem to be pretty I'd say well established and then you look into some of the research and I'm lucky I have a bunch of people I can call and you know MD PhDs and pester for stuff I don't understand and they'll answer my <laughs> my questions um, but the amount of just weird tests people want to run now without knowing and doing the basic stuff is I think becoming more of an issue too so it's the the old double-edged sword yeah I I just wish people would appreciate that college is not superfluous. You know, the, all that anatomy and physiology and biochemistry that we've had to take, there's a, the human body is incredibly complex. Oh, yeah. And you get fascinated with just one thing and you start tinkering, not realizing it's going to have ripple effects through other systems and, oh boy. Uh, I do 
agree though that healthcare in this country in the U.S. is is broken, and so yeah. like we've said it before. But when my doctor says, "Yeah, I want to run a thyroid panel and this and this and this and this," because you told me some some fatigue, and I'm like, "Oh, back off there, buddy!" Like, which <laughs> which of these things do you absolutely need to make your diagnosis? Don't indulge your curiosity with my pocketbook. And so, if people want to do testing on their own, that's more affordable. I know that's usually not going to count. You can't do that kind of self. Um, run test and take it to your doctor and you know she's going to want to look at like well let me look at this <laughs> in the actual medical system like let me run this test and take a look I'll, I'll try to confirm it like you're not going to be able to take your own EKG strip or something and say look at this you know but yeah I, I do think that people they feel like there's no recourse and they they want to be part of their own health care because they can't they can't just go bankrupt you know, because of simple tests and that may or may not be critical. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, even this past year, I've had a couple people where, like, man, this just doesn't, you know, like you're not getting the result, like stuff doesn't add up. And so they went to their doc, they did a bunch of blood work, comes back. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm not the best at reading blood work, but at least I, I know enough to know what my limits are and who to <laughs> who to call. Mm-hmm. So I sent it to a you know an MD PhD buddy of mine who went all the way through med school was you know practicing for a while and I'm like, hey man, her doc says this is normal. I said this just doesn't look right. It's like oh yeah yeah yeah. And long story short, we ended up having her do a sleep study. Another buddy of mine uh, got her hooked up with a sleep study at home and yeah, she's got some some sleep issues she's got some airway issues and so it was driving her red blood cell content super super high because she's getting hypoxic during the night wow yeah um and that would explain why some of her you know vo2 max was low her aerobic performance just wasn't doing as well as what i had compared to other people but you know her iron and other stuff like that was okay you know so there's weird weird things like that too where you know, having a next level down to look when something's not responding is is useful. But even then, unfortunately, she, you know, had to talk to her one physician and get another physician and another referral. And so it's it's a, it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, multiple opinions from your doctor and obviously taking stuff to a specialist, making that referral yep. is just huge. And if you're not getting oh, yeah. the result that you so want, great. we've said it before, it's really sort of blunt, but you can fire a doctor who's routinely just saying no no this isn't your problem or this is your problem or they're really just they're not getting it uh for whatever reason you can always get another opinion you know and i i know that gets expensive in a lot of ways but if you do testing on your own yeah you just be very careful not to be diagnosing yourself with anything yikes and these are all within normal health parameters too it's you know we're not trying to diagnose her or anything like anything like that either but oh i know you wouldn't for sure yeah yeah Yeah. like when you look at someone's blood work and you're like they look like a cyclist on epo and they're not you're like something's not right (laughs) right yes no doubt yeah and it's good to have that information i mean even if it's just so you can then say okay doc if you want to confirm it please do you know that because this is a concern yeah, uh, and just uh, I usually just tell everyone like just go to your physician. Guys, unfortunately, are horrible at this. Just once a year, just get a, a CBC, a differential, a CMP, and a lipid panel. Like if you only get those, in worst case, if you have to pay cash out of your pocket for it, it's 
websites you can find. Most states will let you do it for under 200 bucks. Bring it to your doc. They're not going to like it. They're going to be unhappy with you. But most physicians are probably still going to look at it. And if nothing else, you've got at least a running total from year to year to see if anything is changing or, or goes out of line. Oh, yeah. And you're getting baseline or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I just felt that myself. This is unrelated, but I went to the eye doctor, and I've never had any problems with um, with my vision beyond my myopia, really. And I needed bifocals this time. First time, mm. you know. Now, a lot of people, that hits them at like 45. I'm 52 now, so I'm like, all right, you know, it's going to happen eventually. Uh, but just getting the, having that couple of years of baseline and then like all of a sudden my depth, per, depth perception has changed. I, I went so far as I had a couple of scans of my retina done and just so I can have the information, like you said, so you know some history of where you were, you know, and then you can look at some kind of delta score, some change in what's happened. And like with me, it was pretty obvious, you know, so I'm like, oh, but had I not known. Yeah, you you don't know what kind of progression is going on as you age or or whatever, you know. And this could be true with anything from hormones to whatever. I know they're much more pulsatile, but yeah. And looking at the small little vessels in your eye with the retina scan is a really good way to monitor vessel health too that people forget about. Yeah, he actually looked and he's like, you know, the artery's a little big compared to the vein right here. Have you ever had any kind of hypertension? And I'm like, well, I've had periods of some hypertension in my life. He's like, well, this doesn't look dramatic at all. And I'm like, well, I'm not hypertensive now, you know, but yeah, it's interesting the, the kind of things that you can learn from that. Yeah. Um, back to the predictions. We have two more here as we wind down. One was the continuation of CrossFit popularity versus offshoots. Uh, Phil chose the specialty offshoots as really getting the, the attention as far as a trend toward the future with sort of a waning of CrossFit. Mike, you agreed citing changed gym names away from being affiliates with CrossFit. Like, <laughs> you know, they, they got into the industry through CrossFit, but then they just kind of renamed and repurposed. Um, any thoughts about that? Do you think that's going to continue? Well, I, let's just keep it from the past year. Based I on think- limited observations, do you think that that held true? Yeah, and I didn't. I mean, I've known of Glassman for a while. I've only met him in passing a few times and known people who have worked with him a lot over the years. And I even underestimated how batshit crazy he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah. I mean, I think, to, yeah, this past year, you don't have to look much farther than to see everything that just kind of happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Not saying we predicted that in any way, but. And just even how they restructure the CrossFit games, in, in my opinion, and Phil and I talked about this, and we talked about this on the show, is I just think it's a horrible idea. You know, if if anything, I would expand out how many people can get to the games, not limit it, because that, I think, is a much bigger driver than they ever imagined. So, Got it. Yeah. I'm not as into the whole CrossFit thing i guess it was like investing for me like long-term investors they don't sell at the first swing in the market you know they're in it for the yeah. long haul and i'm looking at this in a very long-term investment kind of way and you could just sort of see the eventual fractioning maybe off of some of these specialty offshoots that are just about strength or last year mike you mentioned something about even you know these gyms having a whole section for like yoga and stuff like they're just yeah. going branching out and rebranding um, 
in a sense, like CrossFit having done its job for several years in bringing people into the world of strength a little bit more, you know, and not just jogging. Um, But yeah, now people are kind of like anything else specializing and that's probably continued in a lot of ways. I imagine. I mean, I think it's just like, I can name on one hand, how many gyms run getting primarily elite athletes. And there's almost very, very few, even places that do a lot of work with, you know, like Cressy performance, elite athletes, elite baseball players. It's, I think it's very similar with people wanting to be a top CrossFit athlete. You know, if you went back, maybe, 10, 15 years ago, eh, if you're a pretty good athlete, it was it, it was just possible. It was in the realm of possibility. Where now it's so specialized and it's just so much more insane than what it was. And then if you're limiting how many like, people can even try to get to that structure and there's no, like baseball is a good example, right? You've got minor leagues, you've got all these other systems that kind of feed into the top. Yeah. And even though it's very hard to get into that, at least you kind of know the system and know the steps and you can kind of look at the next rung where if you only have just the elite of the elite, I think at some point it's going to be kind of demotivating for the average person. Yeah. I mean, even bodybuilding was like that. There's, there's the same way. Yeah. You know, there's novice competitions. Then there's like the regional circuit, mm-hmm. if you will. And, the, you know, and a lot of this stuff is, at least in our field, those are the guys who don't want to go nuts on drugs, <laughs> basically, <Yeah. laughs> because nobody's going to be that much bigger than about 200, 220, 230 in the off season, you know, and then diet down maybe to 190, something like that. That's where kind of where you are. But you know where you are. You don't have delusions yeah. of going to the national level, let alone pro, um, yeah. unless you're making some very serious decisions, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, the last one was sex or gender versus age um, as the fitness focus. So not just fitness for 20-somethings, of course. Um, Phil predicted that sex would be the focus, meaning gender, if you will. Gender, of course, being a social construct here. But he pointed to social media posts, like I mentioned before, with women getting a lot of hits. But also... Um, it more exciting to watch because it's the women who are consistently breaking records, right? As yes. far as they're just advancing the field so much. Um, so he thought it was more of a, a sex comparison versus age. Although he did talk about a lot of the fitness celebrities that, at least that we're aware of now, being older. What do you, what do you think in 2020? Was there a continued focus on? Male versus female, I suppose, in in competitions. Yeah, I would probably agree with Phil. Looking back, I mean, I think especially in strength sports, um, I I just see a lot more interest in women's lifting. And uh, a buddy of mine was talking about arm wrestling, and even arm wrestling. There's you know women competitors. Huh. Yeah. And I think just seeing. It's like anything else, right? Everybody wants to see records broken. And I think if there's a gap between women and men, that's gotten a lot less. And, you know, so in some cases, women potentially getting very close to the men's records or, you know, beating them, especially in the very um, lighter weight classes, too. So that that's exciting to see. You know, that's like everyone. We're just 
wired to see progress. And that's something you can see that I think has changed quite a bit over the last, especially five years. Yeah, it's a good point. Not just the consistent breaking of records, but just the fact that the overall performance is genuinely impressive, you know? Yeah, Uh, totally. (laughs) Like we had Heather on talking about being elite, you know, in some of these strength-related sports as an adult. Um, Yeah, it's like it's not like you're just watching something that's twice as slow, twice as weak, you know, this and that. I mean, they're pushing some serious boundaries, like you said, without question, surpassing an average fit level male, you know, Um, and it's fun to watch that stuff. It's dynamic and it's strong enough and explosive enough that you you, you want to watch that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I do think that probably held true. It's hard to look at back at competitions this past year because everything's been so screwy. But yeah. this is one of those multi-year things where it's just going to continue for sure. So Yeah. And I often wonder, going back to the CrossFit thing too, is I would love to see some some way of tracing how many more women got into just exercise and lifting and Olympic lifting and all that kind of stuff just from CrossFit, especially five, 10 years ago, who now maybe have progressed into competitive Olympic lifting or transitioned into powerlifting or changed into different sports. But I would be super curious to see how many of them started out or had an influence from uh, CrossFit, which was one of the very you know first, I'd say, competitions were from the start like women and men were basically treated pretty equal i mean obviously you have a men's competition you have a women's competition but i believe even going back to the first games like the prize money was the same it was very interesting more flat organization between uh gender just from the start and you know dropping in in the past to a lot of crossfit gyms it was generally more women than men a lot of times too so Mm mm-hmm what about your client base over the last year? More women than men? Has has that continued, or how does that measure out? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, so mm, most most of the people I write to, because most of my content goes out to the newsletter, I write to the standard dude bro kind of educated meathead egghead who's in their you know probably mid thirties or so. Um, but paradoxically, like eighty percent of my clients are actually women. So wow, yeah. it's. I don't know exactly why that is, but I think most of it has to do with you know, just kind of being focused on principles. And I probably spend more time trying to talk some women out of highly specific training for their gender based on their, you know, maybe their menstrual cycle and other stuff like that, where I think there's a difference, obviously, but I don't know if there's a big enough difference to radically change their training per se, based on the data I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it has to do with just less of, I don't know, maybe some of the other things that other people are are doing. I don't know. I, yeah, because you know, I've, I've asked, obviously, my clients, and they're like, oh, well, you just do stuff differently than other trainers do. I'm like, okay, I guess that's good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's not the, so. you know, you're going to be very science-based, very educator. Yeah. It's not this macho look at me kind of fitness stuff that's so prevalent on YouTube and whatnot, you know, um, probably a lot of the same reasons that people, like if you look at the reviews, we, we got up to 500 reviews on iTunes and a lot of them are like, you know, these guys, they just don't buy into the bro science They're It's, it's very professional sort of educator oriented. And 
you know, I think a lot of rational people just want that. And especially insofar as there's still a stigma with, you know, women don't want to become too big or, you know, they somehow need permission sometimes just to do pure strength. They know that they're not going to get a judgmental kind of thing out of Professor Nelson, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. And most of my clients are also trainers too, you know? So a lot of times they have, they're familiar with, you know, what they need to do. But a lot of it is just, I treat it more like, uh, yeah, I'm doing all your training, nutrition and education and everything else. But it's a, it's almost like an old school, I don't want to say like mentorship, but it's kind of more like that. Yeah. Right. You're, you're learning by doing and you're going to get results. But I only really take people who are interested in the process. Like if I get nervous when someone's like, just tell me exactly what to do and I'll do it. I'm like, that's good, but I kind of want you to be a little bit more interested in the in the process Involved. too. So because mm-hmm. yeah, because for me that it just makes it more interesting. And I know also if they're trainers, then they can pass that on to you know their clients, and you know, that's why I did certifications and designed them too. It's just yeah, you know, it's just a higher point of leverage. And that's a downside about only being in academia is you can have a, a massive effect. On people, it's just a smaller number of people, and it's just a different effect, too. Yeah, there's no doubt. And whether it's Phil's approach or what we do with the podcast or what you do, a lot of this, I just think, is it's not the traditional. Like I see one guy, I remember last year at the gym when I was still going, his approach was sort of, come on, lightweight, whoop. You know, it's just (laughs) cheerleader. And I'm like, Uh, as opposed to someone like yourself who you're there to (laughs) monitor, really, you know. And help steer. It's it's like my tax lady. You know, she can take a lot yeah. of the the time that's necessary and monitor the numbers and watch for things. That's useful, right? It's useful what you do. It's not just vague, positive, emotional support, which I think so many like personal trainers and life coaches. I'm afraid that they drift too far in that direction. You know. So. Yeah, and it's a super hard balance too because you want to be interested in the person. You want to. You kind of a lot of times have to dig deeper into what's actually, you know, going on. But at the same time, it's, it's not my job to quote unquote motivate you. Like you have to kind of come in wanting to do it and wanting to do better. Cause you know, some parts are going to be relatively easy and some parts are just really going to suck, you know, and for more advanced athletes, I have a whole like one week assessment and, They've made even little memes out of it and called it Hell Week and all these other names and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But part of that is I want the data because I want to know what aspect you're you're missing. Is it you know lactate, aerobic, anaerobic, whatever? And and part of it is it's kind of a shit test. You know, if you don't make it through and you find a bunch of reasons not to get it done, then this is probably not going to (laughs) work. Yeah. Lack the motivation. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what also makes it fun and, you know, trying different stuff and always trying to figure out how you can do better. And it's just a a never-ending process, too. Yeah, totally. Okay, everybody. Well, there's your day after Christmas episode. Yeah. Um, Just a little spot check about were we full of crap last year. Uh, I think a lot of our predictions were fairly safe. As far as multi-year yeah. trends, to be honest, and we were pretty much on the mark. Uh, if you guys want um, 
us to predict something for the next year as the world hopefully slowly reemerges, maybe over the next year and a half. Um, yeah, just send us an email through ironradio.org and we will add it to our prediction list and we'll try to prognosticate the best we can as far as 21 that's coming up. So uh, be safe, everybody, and we will see you next time. See you. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.